0: Awesome! Nicely done. Very good. Hey, great to be with you. Uh, My name's Michael. I'm one of the pastors. If it's your very first time, we are so glad you're here, whether you're here with us in the worship center, over in the Ridge. I just want to welcome you, but we're going to get our time of teaching. And if you're brand new, the way we do this every week is inside of our program is a green and white message note sheet, and we actually use it a lot. So you're going to want to take that out and help you follow along. And if you guys are all ready to go, I'm ready to jump in. You guys ready to go? Yeah. All right. God, we're just excited to be here and to take this next step on the journey. And so we just pray for the power of your spirit. God, we just know that that your word is spirit and truth. And that without the power of your word speaking, uh, the power of your spirit speaking through your word, it remains a dead word, God. But when your spirit takes it up and you speak with power, those words come into life. And they are life-changing, they are transforming. And so that's what we're here for. We're here to hear from you. And so we pray you'd speak today with with loudness, with clarity, God, in a way that calls forth life from the dead, that we would be transformed to be like you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, today our story starts at a hotel. And uh, they're on the coast. They've come here to uh, process to go through a book that they've read. It's not the first time they've read it. They've read it before. But their organization's going through some time of change, some direction, and they're just trying to come and get some clarity about next steps. So it's a very famous book. And, uh, and so they've been processing all morning long. They've all read it before they came. Uh, they've taken notes. And now they're going through chapter by chapter. What are implications? What are we learning? What does this look like for the future? And so when it's time for lunch, they're kind of tired out and they decide to take a break. Now, this is a beautiful resort. There's kind of pools there. There's some restaurants there. There's the ocean in the distance. It's a beautiful day. It's a sunny day. There's uh, like a kind of a cool ocean breeze wafting over this uh, summer setting. And so they're just enjoying outside, outdoor patio, uh, having some hamburgers, just kind of catching up on their lives, their families, their, uh, their sports teams, and so on. But they find, as often happens at times like this, their attention keeps being drawn back almost magnetically to this book and to what they've been talking about. They're all leaders, they're kind of wired that way, and so they're coming back and talking different things, they going in and out of that. And so partway through the lunch, uh, one, of the, one of the people there, one of these leaders, brings up a topic that was raised in chapter five of this book, and it was it's kind of interesting because the whole topic is introduced with this famous quote from a seventh century BC Greek poet about the difference between foxes and hedgehogs. <laughs> and little did they know that they were about to have a conversation that was going to change both their lives and the future or the organization. That they lead. Well, today, we are continuing this new series. We started last weekend. It's called 40, Charting a Course to Transformation. If you're brand new, I want to welcome you. Uh, this series, the title for this series, 40, it really comes from a couple different sources. So one source is that, as you probably know, that this last summer, we passed a major milestone as a church, our 40-year anniversary. And so part of this series is to celebrate, to look back, reflect on some of the lessons God has taught us over the 40 years. But the second part of this is that you may know this, that in the Bible, the number 40 is a very significant number. It often, uh, often signals times of change or transition or crossroads. So for example, last week we looked at the life of this famous leader Moses, and we saw that his whole life can be divided into three 40 year segments with zero to 40, 40 to 80, 80 to 120. And every time uh, at the 40 year marker, there was a major life change. Uh, if you're, you're one of our life groups here at Rocky Peak that's focusing on God, that's, that's studying our, the, the, the study that we write that goes with our weekend messages, last week you studied the life of Elijah, famous prophet. And at a time of kind of deep darkness and despair, and discouragement, God met him in a supernatural way and sent him back on a 40-day journey back to Mount Sinai, where their story as a nation had begun when they came out of Egypt. And God met him there in a powerful way. So in the same way that God had met Moses 40 days and 40 nights on Mount Sinai, he meets Elijah again and recommissions him. And it's a major crossroads uh, turning point in his ministry. So you think of the Bible, you know, the great flood, 40 days, 40 nights. You see this over and over again, that 40 often signals a time of change, transition, uh, crossroads, uh, and they can be for either good or bad. And so in this series, we're not just looking backwards to what God has done in the past. We're looking forwards and saying, as we cross this critical uh, milestone, what are some things we believe God has for our future? And part of the whole reason for this series is to share with you what we as a leadership team have been sensing God putting in our heart not the last 15 months for uh, our future. So last week we started this journey um, uh, of transformation, and we started with looking at uh, uh, the life of Jesus, and we saw that Jesus has a vision for your life and my life, and it's a vision of transformation. That when a man or woman comes to Jesus, that his vision for our life is not simply that we'd be saved and then go to heaven when we die, but his vision is one of total, radical, internal uh, transformation where remember we saw a student becomes like the teacher. We looked at these famous two passages. Uh, uh, one, well, the first one is famous, the the second one, not so much, but Matthew 28 the Great Commission where Jesus says what it means to be a follower is we come under the leadership of King Jesus, we recognize who he is, we receive his gift of forgiveness, we die with him to our old life, rise with him to a new life, which is what baptism is all about. And uh, he says that this process of transformation we enter happens as we obey everything he's taught us. And so we saw his vision of transformation for our lives. We ended by asking the question, what's your vision? If seeing less than radical transformation, it's too small a vision. Well, today we want to continue that journey. We want to, uh, as we chart our course uh, into the future, and uh, to get at this today, um, I want to go back to the story we started the day with. In fact, there in your note sheet, there is a section that's called Transformation, the Hedgehog Principle. And so I I want to talk about this story and and the hedgehog principle and what what that's all about. And so um, if you go back to the summer of 2016, so it's like 15 months ago, if you go back, there were four of us, four of us leaders at Rocky Peak that we'd gone to a resort hotel over on the coast of uh, California, kind of near Oxnard, Channel Islands area. And uh, the reason we had gone is because we were reflecting on, uh, discuss uh, uh, an important book. It's a famous book. Um, a lot of you probably heard of this book. It's not a new book. It's a book that, that actually uh, the elders we went through when I first came, a couple years after I was here, uh, our staff has gone through. We just felt like we're going through some, some things. We wanted to go back to it again. And so it's a book that's called from, uh, it's actually called Good to Great. How many of you have heard of that book? you heard of that? It's, a, it's sort of a business, book, kind of a leadership classic. In fact, uh, I, I listen from time to time to, you know, several podcasts. So one podcast is a Christian podcast, it's a Christian leader podcast, and they're interviewing really famous, like, Christian leaders making a difference. And at the end, they would just always ask them for fun, hey, what's on your nightstand right now? What are you reading right now that's having an impact in your life? And they said, but two things, you cannot say the Bible, and you can't say good to great. <laughs> That kind of gives you a feel of its influence, so you know, thousands of organizations have been impacted, and so uh, we were there, we were reviewing that book all morning long. We come to lunch, and uh, the conversation turns over time to this fifth chapter. For the author, Jim Collins introduces this concept called the hedgehog concept, and it's sort of based on this seventh century BC uh, Greek poet who, who uh, He has this famous quote, and it goes like this, that the fox knows many things, but the hedgehog knows one big thing. And what it has to do with is if you were having a fight between a fox and a hedgehog, the fox is smarter. The fox is craftier. The fox is faster. He's sneakier. He can come at the hedgehog from all different directions. He can hide behind things and jump out. So the fox knows many things, but the hedgehog always wins. And the reason is, no matter what the fox does, the hedgehog just rolls up in a ball, and he's got all these spikes on him, and he wins. And so every time the foxes and the hedgehog is like, when are you ever going to learn? Right? This is this story is always getting the same way. And so what Jim Collins does is he, he kind of builds on this. and He says, one of the marks of great Companies, one of the marks of great organizations, great nonprofits, uh, great churches, is that they're really clear on what their one big thing is. Of all the things you could focus on, all the priorities, all the important things, like what is the one most important thing, and then they're doggedly disciplined in focus on achieving that one big thing. So we read that, and of course it raises the question: Well, what? what you know how do you figure out a hedgehog and here's what I want to tell you what I'm about to share is great organizationally but it's really great personally too and so I'm gonna give you what what Jim says is that so what you need to do is ask three key questions to help discover your hedgehogs so in your life your calling this would be very helpful we're talking organization can kind of do two things at once here but uh, there in your note sheet I put a diagram and it's a Venn diagram and you see there's three key words On each of these words corresponds to a question. And so he says, uh, the first question you need to ask is the competence question. And by the way, these words, uh, the three words are more mine than his. But the competence question, he says, this is the question you need to ask. He says, as an organization, what can we be best at in all the world? What do we have the capacity to be the best at in all the world? And so my answer is nothing. But... uh, I've changed it to what are we good at? What has God uniquely equipped us to do as a leadership team and as a church? Like what what would be our competence? What What has God equipped us to do? The second circle as you go to the left is the passion question. And the passion question is what are you passionate about? Of all the things that, you know, in our setting God has called us to do, all the things we care about deeply, but what would be the one thing that we're, of all the rest, we're most passionate about? And then the third question is the resource question. And for Jim, this is actually a financial question. And the question will go like this. What's your plan? And by what's your plan, he's talking about your financial plan to make this work. So maybe your vision is to open pie shops, right? And so you're, you say that... Uh, that you think that you have the ability to make the best pies in Southern California. the killer recipes, right? And you're passionate about this. You just think that pies can change people's life. So you're passionate about that, but you still have to come up with a business plan. How are you going to resource that that makes it work? Does that make sense? See, so he said, "What Jim said, if you can figure out what... Uh, what you're, you're kind of best prepared to do, equipped to do. And if you can figure out like, what passion God has placed in your heart. I think of Nehemiah when he went to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. He said, I, I had not yet shared with him what God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. He's passionate about that. And so if you can figure out what you're good at, what you're gifted for, what you're passionate about. And then how you're going to resource that. He says, right in the middle of that shaded spot, that's your sweet spot. That is your hedgehog. And so it was fun because as we were having lunch that day, we're just kicking around different things in the book, and at a certain point, the conversation went and said, what do you think our hedgehog would be? And as we had that discussion, it was really like an aha moment for us. And, but it wasn't like an aha, like I often think of them, like uh, being out in the desert on a dark, stormy night, and all of a sudden, there's a flash of light, and he just lights and just, you see it, you know? Like that kind of aha. It was more like, like hiking out in the wilderness, maybe in a desert, and... Uh, before the dawn, and you're hiking in the dark. I really not normal. People don't do that, but just go with me here. You're, you're hiking, you know, and the sun hasn't come up, and so it's really dark, and you can't see anything. And then all of a sudden, that sun begins to rise over the mountains in the distance. And as it does, it slowly rises. It's like the whole horizon is slowly illuminated. And that conversation was like that for us. We just felt like the sun was rising. And what we realized, if we had to boil it down, of all the things that that, uh, that God has called us to do here at Rocky Peak, of all the things that we're passionate about, of all the things he's resourced us to do, like if we had to boil it into one top thing, one word, what would it be? And you know what that word was? That word was transformation. It was this vision of Jesus we talked about last week that, that God has placed a passion in our heart. I think he's equipped us to do this that our vision is not that just to have people come to Jesus and get saved, but that we can help them come to Jesus, get saved, and then start a journey of transformation where their lives are changed from the inside out to they become the people they're created to be. They're different husbands. They're different wives. They approach their dating life differently. They approach their student life differently, they approach their friendships differently, and they, and they become like Jesus, and they transform the world. And so... What we realized that day, as we talked about it, is not only is this our hedgehog, it has been our hedgehog for a long time. We just haven't realized it. And so, you know, like last night we had a next step dessert at our house. And we typically have these, you know, every month. And so there's 25, 30 people there in our house. And so one of the things I always do is is in that dessert I share with them a little bit of our vision. You know, unleash a movement, a passionate Christ. We talk about our seven core values that remember back in 2000, 2007, 2009, we kind of went before God, discovered this, and shared that in that series we talked about last week. You go to our website, they're there. Well, one of the things I share is if you were to go to our seven values, and you've seen them coming up on the screen, so I'm in the bumper every week, these seven values, if you were to look at those, the fourth value right smack in the middle is transformation, becoming like Jesus. And for years, as I've I've shared these values, after I share them or at some point in that presentation when I'm sharing the values, I point out to these newcomers in my house. So as you look at those seven values, notice that number four is right in the middle. It's like a mountaintop, like three lead up and three lead out. But at the top, this is what we're all about. And so as we came back from that retreat, as we began to process with uh, our leadership team, as we began to process with the elders, that, that fall, in October, a year ago, we had an elder retreat, we began to process this more. It's just released a lot of new clarity about what we're about as a church, what our top priority is. And it's also forced us to ask some new great questions like, if this is really our goal to help every person at Rocky Peak, and yes, I mean you, Are oh, you like oh yeah those people no no like you <laughs> If this is our goal to help every person at Rocky Peak, come into a powerful, firsthand, dynamic relationship with Jesus where they enter into a life-changing transformation process and they're learning to obey everything he taught and their life is changed from the inside out by the power of his spirit and they're becoming more like Jesus and the character of Jesus and the attitudes of Jesus and the priorities of Jesus and the values and, and they're being transformed and then to join him in his mission to help change the world if that is our number one top priority. How do we need to come alongside each person in Rocky Peak to create environment, experiences, teaching, whatever, to help each person get there as fast as possible? And so this last year, we feel like God has been giving us the next steps in that journey. And that's what the series is about. Charting a course to transformation. And so In this series, in the next four weeks, I'm going to be sharing with you some of the specific steps God has been putting on our hearts this last year. And so, as I mentioned last week, we're not going to go through our whole vision statement, point by point, phrase by phrase. We're not going to go through each of the seven values. Not because they're not important, but simply because they're not the hot spot. They're not the leading edge. They're not the areas where God is saying, this is your next step. So what we're going to do is every week we're going to be going through the key parts of that vision or values of what we sense as a team. God is saying, this is your next step as you chart a course to transformation of this critical crossroads in the life of your church. Are you with me? You on that? So today what we're going to do is we're actually going to focus on our first value. Not because it's the first, but because it's the area that God is speaking to us about to start the journey. And so uh, there in your note sheet, you have a section... It's called transformation, and underneath is our first value. If you were to go to our, our website, this would be our first of our core values, the word embracing the truth. And so what I want to do today is I want to give you three specific, very simple but profound truths that God has been reinforcing in our hearts as a leadership team, that we believe will lead us into the future, and then I'm going to ask you at the end a very important question. So I asked you last week one big question. I've got the feeling every week's going to have one big question. But here we go. Uh, so here's the first principle. Now, that may kind of sound simple, but, but hang with me. The first thing that God has been reinforcing to us as a leadership team is that the word is powerful. Now, what we mean by this, and just get real practical, because a lot of people go, going, well, duh, you know, we're in church. Um, but uh, what we're saying is that In this transformation process, becoming student-like teacher, that the most common and most important tool God uses to transform us, not the only tool, but the most important, the most consistent, the most powerful, is the Word, right? That The Scriptures, the Bible, right? Now, Uh, Last week Jesus began to hint at this because in Matthew 28, remember he defined what a disciple is. He said a disciple is someone who comes under the leadership of the true king, receives forgiveness for all crimes against the kingdom, dies with the king to the old life, rises with the king through the power of the spirit to a new life, and then starts a process of transformation that's led by learning to obey everything he taught us. So He's already hinted at the role the Word's going to play in this. But what I want to do today is take you on a journey through three important passages in the Gospel of John where Jesus talks about the Word and the role it plays in the transformation process of our life. And there was early in this year, six months ago or something like that, I can't remember, That it's like I, I felt like God was taking me through John and showing me this, kind of preparing, like, this is what is his path. And so I want to focus on these three passages. Two are famous, one not so much. But they're in your note sheet. I put them all there just so we don't, you know, if you're, you're new to Rocky Peak, typically open our Bibles go to our Bibles in a topical message like this, not so much just for time and speed and also uh, because, uh, well, the same version, that we're just going to look at them on, the, on your note sheet. All right, so John chapter 8, let me set it up. Jesus is teaching in Jerusalem. Uh, some people have started to buy into his message, and so he wants to tell them, okay, if you're going to buy into me, if you're going to be a disciple, this is what it looks like, and this is what you can expect to happen And so he says, uh, if you hold to my teaching. Now let me unpack that first phrase. It's very important here. First of all, if you hold to, that word for hold to in the Greek is the word meno. So it's M-E-N-O. It means to remain, like uh, in John 15, if you abide in me and I abide in you, that's the word meno. So it means to to abide, to stick with, to hold on to. Uh, to live out. In other words, you're holding on to the word. You're treasuring that. You're what we'd say listening and following. Jesus used the word obey last week and to, to obey, right? So he says, so if you hold on to my teaching, but here's the thing. In the Greek, the word for teaching is literally word. So he says, if you hold on to my word, my teaching, you, you embrace it, you follow it, you listen and follow it. He says, first of all, uh, he says, what that means is that you are really my what? So Jesus is defining what it means to be a disciple. So we talked about this last week. The last hey, hey twelve years old, I walked the aisle. Thirteen, I was baptized. Eight, I prayed to receive Jesus. Uh, I've lived like hell. Uh, I live with my boyfriend. I live with my girlfriend. I don't live follow the teacher. I don't go to church. I don't read my Bible. I'm not really surrendered to Jesus. But thank God I'm saved. Because when I was eight years old, and Jesus is like hello? He says, let me tell you how to figure out if you're a disciple. You're obviously struggling with this. So he says, if you what? Hold to my teaching. Last week we saw disciples are people who obey everything he taught. Very consistent. So he says, there's gonna be a lot of people. In fact, in Matthew 7, he says, many will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, and I'll say, I never really knew you. He said, because you you didn't do what my father said. So so Jesus is defining for us what it means to be a Christian. How do you know if you are a Christian? He says, if you hold to my teaching, then you're really my disciples. He said, and if that's true, if you hold on to my teaching, it's going to set a chain reaction off. And he says, it starts with the word then. So circle that then. This is a if-then statement. If you hold my teaching... He says, then you will know what? The truth. And the truth will set you what? Right. So, so Jesus says, so here's how it works. You come to me, you say you believe in me, great. Well, here's how you can know if you're serious. Are you willing to come under the authority of my word? Are you willing to listen to my teaching and follow and hold on? He says, if you do, here's what's going to happen. The Holy Spirit is going to open up truth to you. He's going to take my word, and you're going to find, like in Proverbs 4, it says, the path of the righteous is like the dawning of a new day that shines brighter and brighter until full day. He says, what's going to happen? You've come to me, but as you come under my teaching, you hold and The Holy Spirit is going to open your eyes to truth, and as it does, it's going to be like that sun coming over the mountain. Your whole life is going to start to get clear." you're going to start to understand that the way you respond to your wife is, is, yeah, it might be the way your dad did it, but it's not the way that you're created to do it. And the way you think about finances, the way you approach your career, the way you think about your sexuality, the way you think about your priorities, your values, that, that as we're holding on the word, the truth is going to rise. And as the truth rises, we're going to see the path and the end result as we're going to be set free. So here's what I'm going to catch. What is the key component in this transformation from slavery to freedom? It is the word. If you hold, the word is the tool God uses to enlighten and set us free. Let's look at the second passage. Second passage, we're going to change analogies. So we just had the first analogy. Jesus says, uh, before me, it's like you're a slave. Like you're in slavery, you're in slavery to sin, it's leaving to destruction in your life, bondage. He says, but if you listen to my word and you follow me, you'll be set free, you'll become no longer a slave, you'll be free. So the first analogy is slavery, slavery to freedom. The second analogy is an analogy of grape vines, right? So if you're a vineyard, you have a vineyard. You're going to have grape vines, and you're going to have branches off those grape vines. And the whole point of the vineyard and the branches off the vine is to produce great fruit, great grapes. And so, of course, you have someone over the vineyard. You have an owner, a farmer, where he's responsible to, uh, to care for the vines in such a way that grapefruit. So catch this. Everyone's on the same page in this analogy, Right? Uh, the vine wants to produce grapefruit, the branches want to produce grapefruits, and the owner, the farmer, wants to produce. And so we're on the same page. So Jesus says, hey, you need to think of yourself. He says, think of me like a vine. Now, interesting because in the Old Testament that the nation of Israel was often compared as God's vineyard, God's vine. And so Jesus is, is saying he is vineyard the new Israel. As a Messiah, he is. And so if you want to be part of God's people, you need to stay connected to him. But he says, so so think of me like the vine. You're like a branch. We're in this together. My vision for your life is to be productive. My vision for your life is to be fruitful. He says, the great thing is that we're not our own. The Father is over us, and he's like the owner of the vineyard, like the, the farmer, and he's gonna come along and he's gonna prune you as a branch so that you're productive, so you bear fruit. So the question is in this analogy, well, how does the Father prune us? How are we made productive? What are the shears that He uses? And it's interesting, when Jesus says in John 15, he says, you are already clean. And in context, he's talking about pruned, right? Uh, like you're cleaned up. You are already clean. He's talking to his men. He said, because of the what? Word. The word. He says that I'm about, remember, this is the last night he's with them before he leaves. He's gonna be arrested this night. And so he says, he's preparing him. So he says, I'm about to leave, and the reason I've come is to connect with you, and you're gonna be fruitful. And the father wants to be fruitful, and I want you to be fruitful. I know you want to be fruitful, and so here's how we're stay connected to me, and I'll stay connected to you, and you will be fruitful. But the father will come, and he will prune you, so you'll increasingly be fruitful. Because the good news is, you've already, you're already, as I, as I leave, you're ready to go. You're already pruned. You're already set to bear fruit. And the question is, well, how did that happen? <laughs> he said, it happened through the word. That the last three years, I've been teaching you, and as I've taught you, that word has been pruning your life, and it's preparing you, so you're ready to go. You may not feel it, but you're ready to go, and the Spirit's going to come, and he's going to empower you, and you're going to be fruitful, and as you move forward, this is how how it works. The Father will continue to prune you. So are you with me? So first analogy, we're slaves. We're becoming set free through the agency, the tool of the word. That's what God uses. Second analogy, we're created to be fruitful. How do we get pruned so we're more fruitful? The word. The third analogy comes from temple life. And so uh, in John 17, which is just later that same evening, Jesus is praying. He's about to go. He says, Father, as, as you have sent me into the world, I'm sending them. I've called them out of this fallen world. And he said that they need to be purified or sanctified. in the same way like a priest would be sanctified, kind of made holy so he could speak for God and and stand as a representative. And so, you know, how were priests sanctified? Well, washing of water, oil, and so on. Uh, And so in the Greek, you need to understand this. In the Greek, the word sanctify uh, and the word holy are the same word, same root word. Sanctify and holy and so, so the priests were set apart for God to be sanctified. He just set apart, purified for God's use. And he said, so, so I'm pulling my men out of the world, and I'm sanctifying them and setting them out to change the world, like you've sent me. And so the question is, well, how is that going to happen? How are we going to get purified? How are we going to be set apart? How are we going to be sanctified? Like, think of it like, a, think of a sanctification, like a, a mountain stream that's been polluted, and then the orders are going to clean it up. And so it's all cleaned up now. And it's crystal clear. It's gone from unsanctified to sanctified. It's pure. It's ready to go. It's what it was what it's made to do. And so what, look what Jesus says in John 17. He's praying. He says, um, sanctify them by what? The truth. So just what we saw in, in, in John 8. How are we set free? Why? Well, by the truth. truth sets us free. Um, and so he says, sanctify them by the truth. It's the truth that sets us apart and purifies us and prepares us for impact. But then he goes on, and Jesus says, you know, "Where are you going to get that where, where are you going to get that truth? You know are you going to get that truth from Oprah? Are you going to get that truth from the L.A. Times? Are you going to get it from the CNN website? Where do you find truth? It's a great question that in the Gospel of John Pilate in the next chapter, is going to ask Jesus, "What is truth? Like, where do you get this truth? If truth leads us to life, if truth sets us free, if truth sets us apart, where in the world do we get truth?" And Jesus lowers the boom, and he says, your word is truth. And so what we see through the life of Jesus is for him, the word was his ultimate authority. It was his path to life. We'll see it in our next series about fourth message in. Just for him, the the word was truth, and we see it today. It's the word that sets us free. It's the word that leads to productivity. It is the word that purifies and sanctifies and sets us apart, prepares us to have impact. What I want you to catch is that in this transformation process, according to Jesus, the primary tool the Holy Spirit uses is his word. It is powerful. Right? Now, that's number one. So we're just kind of laying a foundation for where we're going. The word is powerful. Number two, again, simple, profound, is that the word is Controversial. That what you see throughout the scriptures, what you see throughout life, is that the word is controversial. Wherever the word goes, that it's powerful, it has a power to transform, but wherever the word goes, there is always pushback. It goes from the beginning of time. If you go back to the very beginning of our story as a race, the book of Genesis, right? Uh, First man, first woman, the first battle they have with the enemy, the first challenge is to the word. The first attack comes to a challenge. Remember what, what the enemy said. He said, has God really said that you should not eat from any of the trees of the garden? So he challenges the word, even twists the word. And so throughout history, you watch, wherever the word goes, the word transforms, but the word is always receives pushback. Always. So you look at the nation of Israel, false prophets, pushback, right? You look at the early church in the book of Acts, it says the word of God would go forth and it was growing mightily. and the word's growing and the word's expanding, the word's changing lives, transformation, but in every city there's always pushback to the word. It happens in every culture, in every age, and as followers of Jesus, it's critical for us that we understand where the pushback is in our age, like in every age if the word is how transformation happens, understand the enemy will always bring pushback of the word in every age, but it's going to look different and it's going to come from different sources. So for, for example, like in our own culture, ever since the Enlightenment, there has been increasing pushback that started with, say, philosophers, and the uh, academic world, and then it's kind of come down into society today. So, so wherever you go in most of the modern world, in, in Western world culture, that there is major pushback of the word, isn't there? And so, like, we, we're not surprised. When we go on a campus of a state university, we are not surprised when we go into a class and there's pushback against the word. We're not surprised. What would surprise us if you open, you know, to a college university, a secular school, and they say, hey, today we're just going to open the Gospel of John because it's so profound. That will lead us to truth. <laughs> You're like, whoa, where would it just go? And so we're, we're you know, we don't, we're not surprised. We, we don't expect to go to Hollywood to, uh, when we're working and to say, hey, before we start today, we're just kind of a little devotion as a team. Uh, you know, we're working on this big movie. We're just going to need God's help. We want to we communicate his truth to the world powerfully through this movie. It's got a $200 million budget, so we want to hit it hard. So uh, who wants to start reading, you know? In the beginning was the Word. Isn't that awesome? That's our job, you know? Uh, we didn't expect today to move to Manhattan, the center of the economic universe of the, our world. We don't. We didn't expect to move to Manhattan because that's a hotbed of the Word of God. <laughs> right? So in our culture today, we understand this, and as followers of Jesus, we're we're sort of like we understand that we, we're not surprised when a new atheist writes a book, the new atheist so, attacks with We're not really surprised. We we've, we we get that, right? But what's crazy is that in our time. I think some of the biggest pushback to the word that we need to be aware of this is not from outside in secular culture, it's coming from the inside, within our own movement and within our own tribe. I don't want to talk about this because it's so important that we understand this. Um, to set this up, I need to talk a little bit about our church. Right. So the church at Rocky Peak was founded 40 years ago as an evangel we would call it an evangelical church. That is, some of you, I know that doesn't mean anything, uh, some of you will have some idea, but, but the, the concept of evangelical, if you were to break down, like you say, what does it mean to be evangelical, right? Well, if you take all of Christendom and you kind of cut it in three pieces, they would divide into Protestants, Roman Catholics, and Eastern Orthodox, right? That would be the three big divisions. And so if you took Protestantism and you broke it down, we would be a branch of Protestantism. So evangelicals were a form of Protestants, and so if you were to go back and say, well, when did the evangelical movement start? It started in the 1700s, so maybe 1730 with the Moravians, something like that, right? And so, so we can trace it through there, and you say, well, what does it mean to be evangelical? Well, there's four things, four markers I want to give them to you, and is a little academic here, but you need to understand this so we can get the picture. So four quick things. Uh, number one, very high view of the authority of Scripture, uh, evangelicals, so there's all kinds of different We don't kind of agree on everything at all. Give can be different politically, all kinds of things. But uh, we're going to agree on these four things. Number one is the authority of the Word of God. The high view of inspiration of Scripture, all Scripture inspired by God, useful for you know, teaching and correction and reproof, instruction righteousness and righteousness, and, and high view of Scripture, kind of the Jesus view of Scripture. All right, So that's number one. Number two, uh, the evangelicals are going to share the belief that we can be right with God through the death of Jesus. So shorthand theology, we call it the atonement, right? That, that we the only way to be right with God is through the death of Jesus, his life for our life, the atonement. Third thing, third marker is personal conversion. So evangelicals believe that it's not enough that you just grew up in church. You know, you're not a Christian because you grew up in church. That, that every one of us has to have a personal relationship with God through our trust in Jesus and our relationship with Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit and all that. So personal conversion. And then the fourth is social activism. The evangelicals have always had kind of a track record uh, of wanting to change the world, right? So you know, it's, whether it's you know being at the forefront in England of the slave, uh, abolition movement and freedom of slaves, whether it, uh, whether whether it's a yeah, humane society or uh, all these uh, uh, things like in, in England to uh, you know to child welfare laws and uh, reform prisons. I mean, water wells. I mean, evangelicals have been big on activism, kind of kind of living out. Uh, the, light, the hands and feet of jesus right so i 'm very proud to be part of that movement now, in our own day, the, the term has often been sort of uh, misused or, or whatever it 's often been claimed as kind of seen as like a religious right thing, and, and so it 's not as helpful, but historically, if you were to say, "What is the Church of Rocky Peak? How will I describe it i 'd say well we 're an evangelical church right so evangelicals will disagree on lots of things, but they 'll agree on those things. Uh, And that's what makes them evangelicals. And so in our own time, they would be people like in my lifetime, uh, evangelical leaders would be like, you think Billy Graham, right? You think Francis Schaeffer, James Dobson, right now Tim Keller, uh, Bill Hybels. These would be names of evangelicals. Okay, so are you following me? And we've been in that. That's our tribe. And what, what I have a huge concern here, and I've had it for about 15, 20 years that, that I'm seeing within the evangelical movement of a kind of a fracturing of the base. There are cracks within, there are cracks in the foundation. And it really goes to this first marker of the authority of Scripture. And what you're seeing within the evangelical movement in the last 20 years, it's increasingly, you'll see, kind of on the fringes, I'm going to start about on the fringe. you'll see Uh, speakers, writers, churches that are beginning to question clear teaching of the word, I think because it's coming in conflict increasingly with our culture. So let me give you an example. I mean, uh, it would be things like, you know, we live in a culture, all paths lead to the same place, and and the Bible is super clear, right, that, that there is one God, and this God has revealed himself in Jesus Christ, and his name is the word of God. So in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And no man has seen God at any time, but we have seen the Son who has revealed God, that God has expressed him. And so if you want to know the one God's there, the only way is through the Word who has revealed that God. So, so we live in a world that's it's a very foreign concept, right? It's a very controversial concept concept. And so what you find in certain quarters of the evangelicalism, well, maybe there are a little other ways. Uh, We live in a world like we've talked about, you know, before in the last few weeks of increasingly uh, kind of uh, changing uh, kind of moral standards, right? And so especially we we think of it like in terms of the sexual realm, uh, that now we're kind of living in a culture like, well, pretty much anything goes as long as it's consenting adults. And it doesn't really matter how many, as long as they're all consenting. But uh, just you know, we're living in this culture, you want to be this, you want to be that, you want to be this, you know, today I'm man, tomorrow I'm a whatever it is, you know, we live in a, in a time of sexual confusion, right, and change, and so uh, if you are one that says, oh no, God has a vision for our lives, and it's a vision of human flourishing, it's a vision of shalom, and it's an incredible vision of this one man and one woman, who are two become one and share a lifetime of Love and commitment in that safe environment that children are brought. And this is incredible vision. And so sexuality is part of that package. Anything out of that is a, is a, a violence against shalom. It's, it's, a, it's a, a breakdown in the law of love. It, it may not look different, but it's, it's actually a violation in the midst of our culture, very unpopular, right? Um, <clears throat> we live in a culture where, uh, where pretty much everyone believes that when you die, you go to heaven, right? So we, like, I, I mean, when was the last time you went to a funeral. And so I'm like, man, I I feel bad for Joe. I'm sure he's in hell burning away, right? And it's like, you know, it doesn't really matter like who the person is or what they've done. Everyone's gone to a better place. And the question is, where did we get this idea of a better place? And if you trace it back historically, guess who it came from? It goes back primarily to Jesus. And so as a culture, we've taken our view of the next life, of the better place from Jesus, but guess what? Jesus talked more about the place you don't want to go than the place that we all want to go, and yet, as a culture guy, we're not so into that. And so so what's happening is there's increasing pressure, and so what's happening is that within the evangelical community, if you trace this kind of thing, you can see there are fault lines. And there are books from time to time about, well, maybe there's no such thing as hell, or Maybe this whole thing on kind of sex being for marriage when a man, maybe that's not really, maybe we've misunderstood that. And it's not because there's any new revelation of Scripture. It all traces back to the pressure. And so, so what we're seeing is within our own movement. Here's the thing. As followers of Jesus, when secular society comes, you know, when the, when the, the Sam Dawkins, the new, when they come, we see that attack coming. We, we get that. But what's happening is when someone arises from the inside who's been shared the common four values and they begin, to, what they say, they're not going to say is we're no longer evangelicals. We no longer believe in the authority of Scripture. We don't believe in it. The, what they're going to say, oh, no, we, we believe like we always say. We're just It's just a little different. And that's where the danger is. And here's what I want you to catch. If it's true that the key ingredient of transformation is the Word. What does that mean if we ever let go of it? I believe we're at a critical crossroads with American Christianity of what we're going to do with the Word. And as this church is at our 40-year milestone, I believe this is one of the most critical decisions we have to make for the next 40 years, is where do we stand? With the word, and let me talk of your own personal life. It's one of the cr- most critical decisions you have to make too, because it's key to our transformation. And what you can see historically is any time in church history when a group has let go of the word, that movement dies. Uh, great example: if you were to go back and study in the United States, the, the movement of Jesus, late eighteen hundreds, early nineteen hundreds, there was a big fight over the word of God, and. Uh, kind of a theological liberalism came in. And they need to re hey, well, you know, maybe there wasn't really a virgin birth. You know, maybe he didn't really rise from the dead. Maybe he didn't really walk on water. He was just walking on the shoreline, but it's really foggy and it looked like the water. Maybe he didn't really feed the 5,000. Maybe it was just like this one little kid brought out his lunch. He was so generous. It inspired everyone to do the same. It was so awesome. Um, and so there was this redefinition of the word. In most mainline churches, can I tell you something? If you go to most mainline churches today, they are dead and sucking air. And they can't get people to come. And you want to know why? There is no power. If there's no power, why are we here? If the word is not true, and if our lives aren't being transformed, and we're not being set free... And we're not being productive increasingly, and if we're not being more empowered, why are we here? Let's close up shop, I'll meet at the golf course. I'll buy y'all a coffee one time. Huh? No. <laughs> and so, word is powerful, key instrument of, of uh, transformation, and yet it's always controversial. Number three. <laughs> the third principle is that the word is a priority. And so what we see in the life of Jesus, we've seen it in his teaching, and he said, "Hey, this is the key, right? This is the key to your transformation." And there's a powerful passage in the book of Romans, the Letter of Romans, where the Apostle Paul brings these themes of truth and word and transformation together. And it's there in your notes, it's Romans chapter 12. And uh, he's writing to Christ's followers. He's explained kind of the big picture story of what God's doing in the world in chapter 1 through 11. Now he's going to get practical. What does that mean? You've come to Jesus, you, you, you've been forgiven, you received the gift of the Spirit, you've started this, this path of transformation. Where do we go from here? And he says, uh, Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Right? So in the, in the Greek, the, the pattern is the schema, the scheme, the, the worldview, the perspective. He says, if you're, you're, you've come to Jesus, but if you're going to be changed now, you, you have to kind of resist the schema, the worldview, the perspective, the values, the priorities, the, the, the kind of thought patterns of your, your age, your culture. And he says, but instead be what? Be transformed. There's our word. Now, that's an interesting word. Uh, in the Greek, the word for this is metamorpho. So this is the word we get our word, metamorphosis. So think back to science class, right? Metamorphosis, the process of change that a tadpole goes through. We'll start with a, a caterpillar goes through to become a? Butterfly, butterfly. very good. Uh, <laughs> the process that a tadpole Goes through to become a frog. It's a process of change. A frog goes through to become a prince. Huh? Uh yeah. My gosh. Oh man. Yeah, so, <laughs> so the other two services all over that. I don't know what happened to you guys. Uh anyway, um, you're 11 o'clock, you slept in? Come on. Um, Yeah, so metamorphosis describes a transformation process. So the question is, we've entered this transformation process. Paul, how does that work? And he says, well, you need to not conform. The pattern is right. You need to be transformed. How does that work? By the renewing of your what? Your mind. He says your whole thought pattern has to be renewed. Well, what have we learned today is the primary tool God uses to do that? The Word, right? And he says... If that happens, he says, then, circle the then. Remember we had a then in John 8? If you hold on to my word, then you'll know the truth. We have another if then. He says, then you will be able to test and approve. I like the word experience or demonstrate what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So (laughs) he says, you've come to Jesus. God has a vision for your life, this transformation, right? It's This plan, it's good. It's pleasing, it's perfect. He said, but it's not automatic. To experience this vision, this God's will for your life, you have to be transformed. And that transformation comes from renewing your mind. And here's what the Holy Spirit, I believe, is speaking to us as a church, as a leadership team this last year is that if we are going to be transformed, and not conformed. As a church, we have to go deeper in the word. Now, as we've talked about this leadership team, we like what's happening here in the weekend services. right? We, we invest a lot of time in unpacking the word, and we feel like, That word is is going forth. It's transforming power. We we like it. We like the way our life groups are trending. I feel like we still need to trend up and be embracing that word. But we've got the great format there where we're coming together. We're saying, how did that word speak to you? How is it changing you? What does it look like in your life? And so we've got a great format there, this one-two punch, right? But we're, we're feeling that we're missing the third leg of our stool. And the third leg is personal time with God in the word. And what we believe God is putting us on our our life is that God is calling us to what I'm describing as a rhythm of relationship. That God is calling us to a new, as a church, a regular rhythm of relationship throughout our weeks, where as a church, we are investing time in the presence of God, one-on-one, where we're seeking God, we're listening for his voice, and we're letting him light up his word, so that we're not conformed to this world but we're transformed like we live in the midst of the world the world's coming at us 24 7 isn't it i mean billboards advertisements media social media you know movies uh tv shows music uh entertainers celebrities politicians universe it's coming at us 24 7 And the message about the path to life is often diametrically opposed to the message of Jesus. How in the world do we think we could ever not be conformed unless we are intentional about being transformed? That in our regular week that we are spending time with him in a regular rhythm of our lives. The thing is, we recognize as a leadership team, that's very hard. Uh, Our guess would be, That most of us here at Rocky Peak, we understand the value of the word, at least to some degree. And so, hey, we're coming here on the weekends. Maybe we're in a life group. And I I think that if I were to do a little survey right now and say, do you believe that the word of God and spending time one-on-one with the word of God is an important part of a person's transformation process? My guess is most of us would say, yes, we do believe that. But I would say, and there's no guilt trip here. (laughs) I grew up in church, a lot of guilt trips around the word. I'm saying that my hunch will be if we did a survey in this room or with you over in the region and said, how many of you have a regular rhythm of relationship? Or several times a week, three, four, five times a week, your regular rhythm, you're setting aside time, unhurried time in your life to seek God and, and to listen for his voice and to read his word and let the Holy Spirit open that up and to process your life and, and to get new vision of what your life is about so you're not conformed but transformed. My hunch will be the percentage will be extremely small. Now, the reason I'm saying that is not to make me feel guilty. What I'm saying is if the word is the way we're transformed, and if we wanna be transformed, we've gotta figure out as a church how to build a regular rhythm of relationship into our lives. And so, in this series, later in this series, I'm gonna be sharing some really cool things I think the Lord's brought to us very supernaturally of what our next steps are. I'm not even asking you to change today. If you're getting nervous, like, oh no, here it comes. I've got a busy week. This is a bad week to change. I'm not even asking you to change. All I'm saying is, I'm asking you to get ready to think about changing. Because I don't want to just give a message that's like, oh, that's so awesome and three days we haven't changed. No, no, we've got a six month plan. And it starts today. It starts today with saying, hey, this is a reality. The word is transforming. And if we want to change and we want to become like Jesus and we want to live out our destiny, we've got to develop a regular rhythm. And so today, all I'm hoping to do is plant that seed. Did that, that become a prayer in your life? God, what does that look like? I'm not even asking for a change. Now, if he asks you for a change, it's between you and him. But All I'm doing is planting a seed, and the last week of this series, I'm going to be introducing an initiative, but we're not going to start it. No, no, no. I know you too well. No, no, no. No. We're not going to start it. We're going to announce it. We're going to start it in January. So you have three months to start training to get in shape. And then in January, we are hitting it hard. And so God is on the move. And uh, we're excited about that. So, uh, all right, so I have one question for you, because I have to ask a question every week. Uh, But this is my big question, and the way this series is shaping up, I'm guessing every week you're going to get a question. But um, there in your notes, sheet, transformation, one. so last week I asked, what's your vision for your life? I said, here's Jesus' vision, radical transformation, what's your vision? If it's anything less than his vision, yours is too small. So today, the question I have is, what's the word to you? We've seen what it is to Jesus, it's his ultimate authority, it's his path to life, it is what God uses to set us free from slavery, it's what God uses to turn us from unproductive to more productive, it's what God uses to purify our life so we can impact the world. We've seen, for Jesus, the word is everything. In our next series, about four messages in, we'll see this in the life of Jesus so powerfully. So we've seen what it is for Jesus, the question is, what is the word to you? And here's the thing, it's really easy to deceive ourselves, not intentionally, but it's really easy to, it's really easy, honestly, to sit here and say, you go, Pastor Michael, that's awesome, we want to be that kind of church, we are not going to take a stand, you're our leader, good job, I am with you, and be completely self-deceived. And there's lots of ways to do this, I'm going to focus on one. The way we self-deceive it, we think that we the Word is for us what it was for Jesus. But the reality is, you don't really know what the Word is for you until the Word comes in collision with a culture that holds something very dear and precious that's opposite. That's when we find out. We find out what the Word is to us when, when we're in a discussion, we're in a setting where all paths lead to God, and, and, and we... Know what the word says, and we well. What do we believe, and why do I believe it? We find it in the midst of a culture that says what you do sexually doesn't really matter as long as everyone's on board with that. Men, women together. Well, you know, just, it's really it's all good as long as no one's hurt, and the words in clash with that. And So, what do you believe about that? What do you believe about sexual relations? What do you believe is right? What do you believe is wrong? And how do you decide that? We live in the culture that everyone wants to believe that everyone's going to go to a better place. And Jesus says, hey, you need to be careful about this. If You need to be willing to cut off your right hand or gouge out your right eye. You need to do whatever it takes not to go to that place. And what do you believe about the next life? And why do you believe it? Are, are you with me? This is where we find out what we believe. And here's what I want to challenge you. This is not at all. I want you to hear my heart. I think you know me. This is not about a shame on you. What this is, I'm doing an x-ray of your heart. I'm giving you a way to assess where you stand. If you think you stand with Jesus on his word, but on like critical issues, you don't stand with Jesus what that's telling you is you don't believe the word like you think you do. And what I'm saying is that as we chart our course for a future, whether it's as a church or in our own personal life, that where we stand with the word is one of those incredible wickets we either go through or we miss. And what we decide about the word will determine our future. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. And God, as we come before you today, we just thank you for the beauty, the power of your word. God, it's under assault. We feel it. We all feel it. I feel it in my life, God. And as we come before you, we just want you to speak with great clarity. We pray, God, you'd help us to be honest about where we're at. If there's a, a reassessment that needs to happen, we would take that to you. We'd be very radically honest. We'd process with you. How we look at, how we think of your word. But most importantly, God, that we would be a, a, a people that hold on to your word, that embrace your word, that remain in your word, that listen and follow, that obey your word so that we can know the truth and the truth will set us free. And so as we come today, as we worship you, as we bring our tithes, our offerings, we pray you'd say the word in our life once again. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me? Let's pray together. God, you spoke the world into existence. Your word creates. Your word in Isaiah says that as the rain falls down from the heavens and calls forth the grass from the earth, so is my word. It is creative. It will accomplish that for which I sent it forth. God, we are so thankful that when you came to us, you took the name, the word, that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh. and He dwelt among us, and we saw His glory and truth. No man has ever seen God, but God the Son has revealed Him. God, we thank You that You've come. You've taken human form, that the Word has become flesh. We thank You that the written Word, the spoken Word, The word in the flesh is the same word. It is the word that gives life. It is the word that sets free. It is the word that prunes and makes us productive. It is the word that sanctifies and makes us pure and sets us out in the world. That as you were sent by the Father, you have sent us. God, we thank you that blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, but meditates day by night on your word that that man, that woman will be like a tree planted by streams of water. God, we thank you for your word that I run in the path of your commands for you have set my heart free. We thank you for your word that has made us wiser than all of our teachers. We thank you for your word that by your word we've been born again by the living and abiding word of God. We thank you for your words in our life that the words I speak to you are not flesh but they are spirit and they are life. God, we want to be a church that's knee-deep in the Word. We want to experience the power of your Spirit taking up the Word and speaking it afresh. God, we think of those disciples on the road to Emmaus at the first day of your resurrection, and they said, were not our hearts burning within us as he opened the Scriptures? God, we want you to be that church in our personal life. We want to be that church in our life groups. We want to be the church in our weekends, where week after week and day after day in our daily lives, you are opening up the word and giving us life. God, we want to be the people that are not conformed to this age, the schemas of this age. We want to be that people that are transformed by the renewing of your word. We thank you that your word is alive and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And we thank you that you are coming back on the clouds and on your thighs written the word of God. And Jesus, we come and we pray for a new passion for your word. And we repent as a church for the neglect of your word, that we have not put our roots down deep. And as a result, so many times we're not thriving God, sometimes our marriages are not thriving. Our passion for you is not thriving. Our families are not thriving. Our careers are not thriving because we're not planted deep in your word. In the midst of a crazy culture that is so confusing and so busy, God, will you help us as a church? On this day, we ask in Jesus' name that you will create a rhythm of relationship in our life that we will not just come on weekends. We will not just discuss it at our life group, but that we will be going deep in your word one-on-one that will empower our life groups, empower our weekend services, and create a synergistic effect on this three-legged stool. And so, God, we come in the name of Jesus as your people, and we repent, and we ask for a fresh outpouring of your spirit on this church that would give us a passion for your word that would set us free and we pray it in Jesus name and everyone said amen amen Mm. Mm. may this be a week where as the apostle says may the word of God dwell in you richly and maybe a week where, remember, I'm not asking you to change. I'm just asking you to start thinking about changing. We're going to slowly ramp up. Uh? May this be a week where God just pours out his spirit in your life and starts to create a new hunger, a hunger for transformation, life as normal, something new, something passionate, something you are born for, and understanding the role of that word speaking afresh by the spirit throughout your week to you that you can rise from the dead as it says in Ephesians awake sleeper and arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you may we as a church arise from the dead by the word of our Lord through her Christ will shine on us and through us shine out into that world amen amen Amen. God bless you see you next week